0: this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week of nursing and healthcare talk mixed with a little true crime. This week, I have two guest hosts, the dynamic podcasting duo that is Cup of Nurses podcast. Welcome back, Matt and Peter.
1: Thank you, Tina. love being on here. Thank you for having us here again.
2: I'm excited for this story and some dark psychology that we're going to talk about.
0: I know. It we definitely go down a dark road for this one. So before we get started with the this bad nurse story, I definitely want to warn you guys it contains some very, very disturbing subject matter involving children. And we don't go into any specific details, but I know for some people even the mention of some of the content that we're gonna talk about might be too much to hear. So just want to make you aware of that. Are you thinking about going back to school to get a master's degree, maybe a family nurse practitioner degree? Well, It's so important to choose the right program. Samuel Merritt University's MSN FNP program has a 100% employment rate after six months. Unbelievable. And Samuel Merritt University has been kind enough to continue to sponsor our podcast and they want us to let you know they're continuing to offer a $10,000 scholarship to anyone enrolled in their MSN, DNP or Family Nurse Practitioner programs. If you're interested in getting more information about these programs, you can visit them at smumsn.com. That's SMU MSN. com,
3: And of course, we'll put that link on our website if you want to just go to goodnursebadnurse.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash goodnurse and fill out a profile. So you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com. Be sure and put forward slash goodnurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today.
0: This is the story of Sean Fiore, and Sean was a Vermont primary care nurse, and at the age of 38, he was just hours away from receiving his doctorate in nursing from the University of Vermont in May of 2020. When Homeland Security investigators raided the apartment that he shared with his then wife, his parents were also in town for his graduation and we're sleeping upstairs at the time of the raid. So before we kind of get into where we where this went and it def, trust me it it goes dark fast, but I wanted to talk for just a minute because as soon as I was reading this story, the first thing that popped into my mind is this documentary that I saw recently on this phenomenon called swatting. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but basically people somehow call 911 and basically trick the police into showing up at someone's home in the middle of the night and doing this full-blown raid as if the people who live there are some sort of major criminals. And they're completely clueless. And there they could be, you know, a lot of times they're kids that are, that are doing this. They somehow figure out how to hack into the system and make it seem as though they're calling from this other person's house and like, hey, I'm being held hostage. So have you guys heard of this?
2: yeah so i heard of the term you when i looked it up you told me about swatting i'm just like oh i actually had a example that i heard recently there's like this guy called tim cast and he has a podcast irl of tim tim cast and what happened to him is while he was live on air somebody called the swat on him that there's like an active shooter or something it happened twice to while he was live on air so i didn't know that people have the ability to hack and change an ip address and pinpoint that hey there's something going on in this location where police just show up.
0: Well, it just blew my mind when I was watching that documentary, because I just can't imagine how horrifying that must be could, to be completely clueless about this. Now, I would imagine that if you're on the receiving end of this swatting event, you the specific person, I guess the gamer that they're targeting probably is aware. They probably know exactly what's going on, but their parents in the other room or siblings I'm sure are completely clueless. And how scary is that? I feel like it's so dangerous and you could literally kill someone, but that's what it made me think of when I read this, like his parents are in town because he's graduating with his doctorate in nursing practice and his wife is there and, or, you know, and I'm just like, I can't imagine, you know, they're completely innocent in this. And have no idea. It's just so it's just so bizarre. I just can't imagine what they must have been thinking, waking up you know, being woken up like that.
1: Yeah, definitely scary. So the thing is, it's like with the whole incident with this guy. Yeah, like it could be like kind of a flip side. For example, if you know someone's committing a crime and you know nothing is getting done about it then you can kind of almost use use the squatting technique as like a positive. I know it's like a lot of kids are doing it as like a joke and it's crazy that it's working, but there has been times that I've heard about stories about people committing crimes, drug-related crimes, or, you know, someone with pedophilia like her body to talk to and things weren't getting done. So maybe like squatting does have a little bit of, or squatting does have a little bit of benefit because then maybe you could force the law to do something about a certain issue that isn't being addressed because when you call the police somebody and somebody, the first that the police does is you don't knock on a door and they ask you a few questions, and then that's how things kind of get handled. They ask a few questions and they don't see anything suspicious, they leave. But if you know for a fact that someone's committing a crime or, or doing something, or maybe even like kidnap somebody, if the police doesn't really allow you to, or if the homeowners does not really let you allow to enter the home of your policeman, then you can't really really do anything about it. So I guess maybe there's like a flip side of, of this where you could kind of prank this, prank somebody like this and actually get some stuff done that you've been trying to get done for a while because things do go under the radar. Things do get overlooked by our police department and this could be one way of potentially saving someone's life or changing something. On the flip side, I don't know, on the contrary, but a lot of kids are doing this as a joke and it's crazy how it has flipped because almost like modern day ding-dong ditching if you think about it. As kids, when man and I grew up, or when you grew up, we grew up without the internet. We grew up, you know, if you want to prank somebody, you have to do it physically. You can't really call somebody because if you use a phone to call the police to Matt's place, the phone gets traced back to your place, so they know who the culprit is. But now, with all this technology, with all this media, social media going on, where all your information is basically online, someone could call could call this squatting thing on you from a different country, a different state, because your credentials and where you live are just so exposed and so online. So it's a crazy thing. But it's like a double-edged kind of thing where you, it could be done for good as well, but most of it done is done as a joke. Just briefly talking about it, like it a personal
2: situation, this is not really swatting, but it's more of like identity theft, right? Where we have this open platform, the cloud, the internet, we're posting all these photos, but then there's people that use these photos and prey on other victims, and you technically have no control over it. Perfect example here, there's people that have stolen my identity and create a profile of me that this cup of nurses host, And they call me Aaron and different names. And then they lure women in where they're, whatever they're talking to them about, but they want to lure them for money. And basically they, I don't know what tactics they use, technically dark psychology. We could talk about all this. And we're going to talk about this guy where women have sent money to this person thinking it was me. And then. You know, the story continues, they don't know what's going on. And somehow they find me on the web, connect with me and say, hey, is this really you? Because I've been talking to this person. And then they show me the dialect of conversation. So it's so sad where just like it's a double-edged sword where it's the free web and I can't do nothing about it because technically I am not the victim of this crime. And that means that the crime could just continue and people could continue stealing someone's identity and doing crimes like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we need more laws maybe federally to protect us all from this sort of thing? Because it does seem like we're kind of powerless. I mean, do you think it should be maybe against the law? I do. I think, I mean, I should, I would want to have some recourse if I knew somebody was out there doing that with my name.
2: Yeah, I'm a huge proponent for civil liberties and have freedom as much as I can. But in this case, for identity theft, especially online, there should be some regulation. Just like, for example, in the future, when the metaverse comes out, whatever the case might be. All the big globalists that talk about topics like this they never mention privacy rights or how we're going to remain and secure our digital identity. So that's already red flags for the future, where if this is an issue on Web 2.0, the, you know, on the Web, what's going to happen in Web 3.0 when this, these things still haven't got addressed?
0: That's interesting. Wow. And, you know, Peter, I never thought about the idea of someone doing this swatting thing to to have sort of a good uh, outcome from it like they know that someone's doing something bad or something bad's going on but they can't get the police to focus in on it but so they're just like okay I'll we'll have the police show up in the middle of the night and force their way into the house and then discover something is bad going on in there I just wonder though if the people in the house would be protected under some sort of right to privacy you know like if because if, if they entered when they weren't supposed to be and they just dis- and they discovered you know that information i don't know that it would be admissible because they should have had a right to privacy and, they, and the police shouldn't have been going in i don't know it's just interesting conversation
1: i thought there was like a law where it can like a police officer or somebody under law like work under suspicion like if, like if they suspect something happening if they could do something about it i'm not sure i'm in california so all these laws are crazy over here now i don't even know what is what is law or not
3: And I'm sure it's different state to
0: state, but then there's also federal. And of course, this is going to fall under federal because it's happening over, I guess, over the internet.
3: International.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. That's an interesting thought. I want to talk about this because you can't just pretend, I say this all the time, we cannot pretend like stuff like this doesn't happen. It doesn't do anyone any good. You have to get it out there. You have to talk about it and make people aware that this sort of thing happens or it will continue to happen. So this nurse, this former nurse Fiori. They did arrest him. He was released the same month, but they arrested him on child pornography charges. I find it interesting, you know, they arrest people and then they release them. And I understand that we are innocent until proven guilty, but I also know that, you know, they typically don't go arresting people unless they have a lot of evidence. So it always frustrates me when people that are clearly guilty of something get arrested and then released immediately. But he. As soon as he's released, he goes to the town library, uses a computer, and destroys emails that contain, like, incriminating information. Obviously, it didn't do any good because they clearly knew that's what he was doing. I'm sure they were following everything he was doing. So, while he was initially under investigation on the child pornography charges... Their investigation uncovered additional disturbing information that resulted in multiple serious charges. I mean, I I told you it gets dark really, really fast. So this former nursing doctoral student was charged with conspiracy to kidnap, maim, and murder a person in a foreign country and account of murder for hire using interstate devices. So those charges were... From events that occurred from September 18th to April 2019, and you, so using an alias, he communicated via WhatsApp. And I, people, people think that these apps are anonymous, that they can get on these apps and have all these communications, and that it's not traceable. I've done a lot of these stories, and I feel like it's impossible to really truly be anonymous. You know, if the police get are onto you. They can track you. You can track anything you do. I've just done too many of these stories. You hear that? But he's Peter? having this conversation. Yeah, you. <laughs> hey, 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 I'm not You've doing anything. Warned. I'm
1: not doing anything legal here, guys. <laughs> You've I'm, been I'm just trying to be the best ice <laughs> nurse I could be in San Diego here.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So here he is having this conversation on WhatsApp with a Colombian woman living in Venezuela, who was involved in the abduction of individuals who she referred to as slaves. So these slaves were subjected to unfathomable horrors and abuse that was video recorded. And then the videos were then sold to interested buyers for negotiated rates. So he reaches out to this woman and expressed interest in purchasing a video depicting the torture of of a kidnapped minor. So he actually laid out very specific details of what he wanted to see in this video, the actual abuse in specific detail, and paid $600 in Amazon gift cards. So on October 3rd, 2018, Fury received a hyperlink to a video file that depicted sadistic abuse consistent with his earlier specifications. I cannot... Imagine, you know, the dichotomy between someone who is going to school to learn a profession that requires so much compassion and empathy to care for other people. And then that same person wanting to witness inflicting pain and suffering onto another person, especially a child. It's just disgusting.
1: It's it's mortifying. Like, imagine if... This was never brought up to light. He had he would have an, he would have access to all the children that he would want through his career. Because, like you said, as like a trusted professional, as a trusted medical professional, a doctor. Imagine if he went into pediatrics. Imagine if he went into like family care, and you know you're supposed to go trust your doctor, and he started doing some crazy stuff with these kids. It's just wild to like picture that because it's hard to fathom. Because we could only compare him to ourselves and it's not something that we could ever imagine ourselves doing. And the fact that it wasn't just a video that he bought, it was a video that he almost created with specifications. So it's even like darker and crazier than you would think. Like that person is like darker to the point where darkness is, you can't get any darker, right? Because there's a huge difference between watching a a video, it's bad regardless. There's a big difference between watching child pornography and then getting off on like torture, a specific torture that you already want because you've had to think about that more than a handful of times, if you're writing down, Hey, what you want done to this person, that's mortifying. That's insane to think about. Yeah. Usually I'm not big into crime documentaries
2: or movies or anything like that, but just hearing this story makes me wonder where is this person coming from? Because how can he be a nurse and express empathy and then having the complete opposite lifestyle where he's lacking empathy and he wants to see people tortured so. I can't even wrap that around psychologically to understand the human. You know, I understand being an ICU nurse, we care for people, and then we practice martial arts where we're technically fighting, in a sense, to a death, but we understand the mutual respect of that. It's just a combat sport. But this guy genuinely gets off sexually, I guess, in this case, off torture, right? So it's almost like some sick fetish, you know what I mean, where... Maybe he started, you know, and it's crazy because he has a wife, and he is a successful, successful person in healthcare, and somehow he's hiding this deep, deep dark shadow side of himself that just is taking over his life. So, yeah, it's
1: mind blowing. I'm not sure if it's psychopath or sociopath. I'm not sure what the difference is, but it just shows you that like with these psychopaths, like they're intelligent people, like they are. Give them credit to their intelligence. It's up they're intelligent in a really messed up way that, that they're going to try and do whatever they can to get that, that, that need. Like in this case, this person probably didn't want to become a doctor. Just to be a doctor and help, he probably became a doctor so he could help himself get access or maybe even complete these kind of actions, which is crazy. He's a very determined individual, but he's determined in a very dark, dark way, which is crazy. And that's crazy how life works. It's like this guy's out of the spectrum. He's not, you could say he's not normal. But that's kind of how life is. If you want determination, if you want to have the ability to live your life to the way you want, you have to have these kind of other sides of the coin. You have to have these extremes on this negative end as well, if you want to have these extremes on a positive end. Like Elon Musk, he's a great example of determination as well. He's super determined. He wants to get to space. He wants to do all this. And the only way we could have this as humans is if we unfortunately have this other dark side to some humans as well. You can't have just one spectrum of these kind of things. And it's kind of, it's very hard to process and very hard to understand. But That's just kind of how, how life goes. You have to understand that there is good people in this world and there's bad people in this world. And they happen to just be all around us. And in healthcare, it's a really good opportunity for these sadistic individuals to be in because they have access to people, they have access to medications. Like for example, if this guy had a fetish for maybe uh, torture people, you know, who knows, he could have sedated somebody for a surgery that he just was going to do himself or whatever, and he could have done whatever to, the, to a human being. He could have maybe had a connection with a group of other doctors and told somebody, hey, we're going to perform a surgery on you. And what they actually do is just take advantage of people. It's just a crazy thing. It's just healthcare is a very humbling career and people see us as trusted individuals. And sometimes psychopaths take that trust and take advantage of it. And we come up to stories like we, like the one you presented to us today.
0: It's so true. I, it, I shudder to think of what he must have been in his mind planning to do once he got the power that was going to be handed to him when he did receive his doctorate in nursing practice. And he already having the trust of the public just from being a nurse and working in primary care, although in that setting, you don't have as much access i think you know to to people in those vulnerable settings as you do working at the bedside but certainly depending on what type of practice he was going to go into as you said he could have certainly had access to to patients in vulnerable moments if he were to try to cuz there there're plenty of opportunities, depending on the specialty, for people to to need to be require sedation. And you would hope that there would always be other medical professionals in the room when things are happening. And yet we as medical professionals know that isn't possible for that to always be the case. I mean, you know, we work in ICUs, we work in hospitals at the bedside, a 24-7 facility with minimal staff, bare bones, skeleton crew. You can't possibly have two people in rooms at all times whenever there's you know a staff member in there so that's probably one of the most vulnerable places for anyone to be really if you think about it to the trust the amount of trust has to be put in us as healthcare providers and it just really breaks my heart to to think that these people slip through the cracks but they do i mean they're everywhere they're they are in all professions. There are bad people out there, unfortunately. They do get into the healthcare profession and we have to be aware both as healthcare professionals and as potential patients and you know, parents and loved ones and friends of patients, if that makes sense. Like watching other people's patients. I mean, I don't know if you guys do that, but I'm always, I think of the other patients on the floors. I'm not just like only, you know, zoned in on my patients. You know, if an alarm goes off in a patient's room, I don't care if it's my patient or not. I'll go in there. You know, if there's, you know what I mean? I mean, I feel responsible for everyone to a certain degree. And I think just being aware that not everybody has the best intentions in this world.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious, because of course we only know the information that you provided. And of course, the story that got published online. I wonder if like, his wife was in on this and even if like like what happened in his life that made him do these kind of things like what what happened in his childhood or growing up or something that made him attracted towards these things was he like his victim father died. Kind of. his father died his father died when he was six months old i briefly clicked on a news article you never know we can make conclusions all we want but what if like His father, before he died, was abusing him at six months or or whatever. You never know things that he doesn't remember. You you don't know what caused him to be this way, because a lot of times when you look at like psychopaths and sociopaths, they have some kind of a traumatic event happen to them. Something like usually abusers are abusers because they got abused in the past. Murderers, you know, they used to hurt things when they were growing up, th- things like that. So I wonder if something happened in his life that, that triggered this to happen. Maybe some conscious thing. You never know, because unfortunately, like, his, like you said, his father is dead. So you never know what what, what could have happened. So it's like I don't feel bad for the guy that he's going to jail. I don't, you know, I don't feel sad that he got caught with this or whatever. But it's like what happened in his life that made him be attracted to these things. Because I'm sure we could all agree that nothing in my mind ever would attract me to like ch- children or especially this kind of stuff where they're being tortured, even torture, you know, like it's crazy to think about like, how can somebody find an affinity for this? What's deeper down in that person's mind?
0: For one thing, I would have to say that I had a very traumatic childhood, a very traumatic childhood. I suffered, uh, I was raised in foster care and I was, I've suffered extensive abuse. I've talked about this before on another podcast and it's something I've overcome and I accept it as part of, Who I am, and it's made me stronger and a better person. You know, I use that for good, I guess, to have empathy for others. I think that adversity can help you have empathy for other people and what they go through. I also think that at some point, you know, we have a choice to make. And at certain crossroads, he made choices and continued to make choices. You know, he chose at one point to go down a dark path. Maybe he was led there at some point in his childhood. That as you grow and become an adult, you know right from wrong. And you have the choice to continue down that path or to be to want to do something better and to not want to inflict that kind of pain and suffering onto another person. And if once you make that choice to go down the darker path, and then you make another choice and another choice. And I think that what happened with him is pretty obvious that he escalated, you know, because, you know, you start out with one thing that you think, oh, this is kind of dark, but I'm going to just do this. It's what's harmless. Maybe he's clicked on this. Maybe he clicked on a link that he didn't even intend to click on and saw something that sparked an interest and then somehow justified in his mind. Well, that's, you know, maybe it's fake or maybe it's, you know, out of curiosity, he's just somehow able to justify it. But then that turned into, but I, okay, that's no longer satisfying. I have to see something more. I have to see something specific or I have to know I orchestrated it in some way. And so it's like, if you go all the way back to the beginning of that road where he chose at some point to continue down a path or to go down a path that was dark, truly, truly dark. And I think we all have to examine ourselves because it's. I don't think that people jump into this space you know, head first, I think that you ease into it. I think you start out making a justifying, making some decision that is some, somehow they, you know, think is not that bad, but probably most of society would think is not good, it's bad. And then once you step foot into that realm and you're comfortable in that space, then it's easier to take another step into an even darker space. And I think he just kept. you know, just continue to make those decisions. And it was a decision that he made. There's no doubt about that. He's an adult. He has control over his life. You know, if I blamed my parents or my mother or anyone for not caring for me or neglecting or for the substance use disorder that they suffered from or the mental health issues, if I blamed those things, then who do I blame for them having those problems? Because, you know, it's a chain reaction and we can go all the way back to the beginning of time. And so at some point I have to own my own actions. I have to accept the fact that bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to people. Bad things have happened to me. Bad things have happened to other people we have no control over, but I know that I have control over the choices that I make to not hurt others. CBD Stat, they're amazing products. Love them. They support our podcast. Their CBD product is some of the absolute purest CBD out there. And some of my friends use it for headaches. I personally use it for foot pain. It helps with some people with their back pain. It's truly an amazing product. And they are so good to healthcare professionals. Such a good company.
3: You know, I was able to use their
0: product for the first time after you and I returned from Washington, D.C. for the Nurses March. They provided me with some samples. And I used it on a sore knee and then later on a sore wrist. And it helped so much. My daughter even uses it on her back for her scoliosis. And it really does help. That's amazing. And of course, their products are 100% THC free, which is great for travel nurses who have to take a drug test every three months. They only offer very strong CBD greater than 1000 milligrams. If you're interested, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse bad nurse. That's cbdstat.care Forward slash Good nurse badners. Be sure and put the forward slash Good nurse badners in there so they'll know that we sent you there a short time later, after the incident with where he paid the six hundred dollars with the Amazon gift cards, he again reached out to the same Colombian woman with intent to purchase another video. And this time you know, and he customized the type of inflicted abuse on another abducted individual. This time it was an adult male that was lured away from a public setting by this woman. So can you imagine? being adult males, that if you're in a strange city, you know, just maybe vacationing with a group of people and you somehow meet someone that's interesting, somehow develop a relationship with this person. And you have one idea of who this person is because people like that can be very charming and they lure you into a situation where now all they care about is they're about to get paid $4,000 for making a video of you being tortured and killed. So that's where he went and you know in his life. That's those are the decisions that he made that led up to him, you know, being arrested.
2: Yeah, what's wild thinking about this, and I'm just connecting to what's happening in modern society with, for example, OnlyFans, where we have this over sexualization of males looking at different type of women and subscribing to these channels that have different women, I don't know, dressing up in different clothes, whether it's fetishes, I don't know, looking at toe picks, who knows? I'm sure there's everything out there. And it's wild how technically this is a over-sexualization too, but in this case, an extreme child form, right? So how come we're allowing over-sexualization of What's happening in our society with men are purchasing these, these things, and it seems like that it's okay for the public. It's becoming more of a norm, but now there's this dark side of this. What if this is stemming from that, where it's the same energy or emotion that's being you know, created, and that's only pouring into the sex industry, the sex trafficking industry, and all that's happening, because who knows what people are doing on these channels? Who knows what these channels have, like some back doors to go to deeper Channels that are off IP addresses, or who knows what, that give out other content that's much darker. So who knows how much of that industry is feeding into all this? That's causing men to do such horrific crimes like this.
1: Yeah, like, like I guess, like you said, like pornography probably plays a huge role. You could literally watch any kind of porn you want on the internet, right? You could just type it in the search bar, and you get whatever you want. And imagine if you're somebody that constantly watches porn, and you get that stimulation every day, because. Before the age of the the internet, the only, only way, you know, to see a naked woman was to actually interact with a woman, you know, right? Now with pornography, you could, that's accessible to you whenever you want. And if you're somebody watching porn every day, you know, masturbating like handful times a day and people out there to do it, you know, you need more and more stimulation. So you go from some like basic pornography, then you get something that needs to be more stimulated because you just can't get off on the same thing. and You just progress to something more crazy and crazier. And that's why pornography, if you watch it a lot, it becomes a really bad thing because you're gonna need more stimulation. That basic porn that you're watching isn't gonna be enough to fulfill your needs. You're going to look for like the next thing that's even a little bit more stimulating and eventually, that gets to like all that bondage stuff, that BDSM stuff. And then, you know, people take that and they do child pornography. They do torture. And, you know, if you're the one person that's susceptible to it, and you're the one that's doing these things on a daily basis, it's not healthy for you because you're never going to... It's basically like, for example, that's how cigarettes get addicting. Same way porn gets addicting. And you go from smoking one cigarette a day to smoking three cigarettes a day. Then you're smoking a pack a day. Then you're smoking a pack and a half. Same thing goes with like pornography. If you watch porn a lot, you're gonna need have different kind of stimulation. You're gonna need more of it. And it's a crazy game that we play with ourselves, and something that we have to have under control because it is our almost like innate thing to do is to is to you know have sex. Like it's something that's in us. We have to do it because that's how we survive as humans. And sometimes. The internet and pornography takes advantage of that and you can't control it. And seeing this might be what happens to this guy. You never know.
2: Yeah. You, me- you mentioned dopamine, which is fascinating, right? So it's like you're, I'm going to get a little metaphor. It's like, you're okay playing in the sandbox and then the dopamine, you have no more happiness in the sandbox. So you're going to a different place and mentioning child pornography and now the OnlyFans stuff. It seems like just a giant psychological manipulation of lonely individuals. And even though this guy was married for some reason, maybe he still felt lonely in his relationship, like who knows what the story is, but he turned to this kind of content to satisfy maybe that need of loneliness and connection. But I don't know how the hell that connects to whatever he was doing. Cause yeah, just like we kind of talked about in the beginning, there's no way to understand this individual.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's just horrific what he's doing. I'm glad you brought the Tina with like the choices. Like you, you can make your own choices because I've read a lot about like, Alcoholism and what's interesting to see is the biggest correlation with someone being an alcoholic is their mother or father being an alcoholic. Right? But the biggest correlation for people that are against drinking and are not alcoholics is also a parent member being an alcoholic. So it's crazy to see how that psychology works and it really is up to you because if you grow up with your parents being alcoholics, you're you basically have two roads to go down. You're most likely going to either be an alcoholic or you're most likely going to be someone that's you could say anti-drinking. You might drink a little bit, but but for some reason you have an alcoholic parents it kind of pushes you away from alcohol, so that's like a crazy correlation to also have that, and that kind of is in line with other psychological illnesses because alcoholism, to a certain extent, is like an is like a psychological illness. You're using alcohol to fill some kind of void that you haven't been able to figure out. So it's crazy how that works. That could, that's also could be tied to schizophrenia and other things. Like if you have a family member, a mother, a father, that has a mental illness, uh, an issue, you're likely to have that as well, but you're also not likely to have that. So it's almost like 50-50 and that fifty-fifty is is up to you. Which is a crazy thing. That's kind of how all psychological illnesses are kind of manifested. You know, some of it has to do with genetics and you are dealt with the cards you're dealt with, but a lot of it does go in, into choice. And especially for this guy, he's going to to school to get his doctor, right? So he's not some random person, maybe has like a mental illness of some sort or doesn't know his boundaries. He's a well educated individual. He knows what's wrong and w- what's right. Yeah, he's been choosing that this wrong has this past life or whatever, however long he's been doing this for.
0: I completely agree. I mean, I I think that we can all suffer, you know, from different types. I think most people (laughs) suffer from some sort of mental, you know, illness, you know, we, none of us are perfect. We, our bodies, you know, at different times, you know, we can just like, we can get a, a cold. I think we can go through, bouts of mental illness and have you know depression some people suffer from seasonal depression all the way up to obviously you know bipolar and lots of other different types of mental illness and i think that each person you know we're all individuals so we handle those things differently but when you make the choice, and it is a choice to inflict harm on someone else and somehow justify that by using, you know, your the mental illness that you're suffering from, that is not okay. I mean, you that is a choice. It's always a choice. You you can't just justify your behavior because of something that's happened to you in the past. I just I will never be okay with that. I definitely understand people that are victims. I understand the psychology behind it. I've been through it myself. I have PTSD myself because of my childhood. I suffer from that. I've, done, I've been through a lot of therapy. And so I understand. I get it. I get the things that go through your head. But at the same time, I could, I could never you know, justify inflicting harm on someone else or pain on someone else. And yet we do. I've said this so many times on this podcast, hurting people hurt people. I mean, that's what happens. You're hurting, and you inflict pain on someone else because you are hurting. Even though I say I can't justify hurting someone else because I'm hurting, I still do it. I, we all do that, and it's not. It may not be physical pain. It may be emotional pain. It may be, you know, pushing someone away because I'm afraid of getting hurt. Like we, that's what we do, but it's not justifiable. You can't justify it. You have to own it. And you had to try to do better. And it's just a step, you know, you've got to take steps in the right direction. And this guy went way in the wrong direction and just kept going. I mean, he just kept going. Prosecutors and investigators have called these videos that he orchestrated unspeakably vile and horrific. They called him depraved. I would agree with them. One investigator said that he committed some of the darkest, most heinous deeds humanity can imagine. So he was indicted and admitted to purchasing those videos in addition to conspiracy to produce child pornography and possession of child pornography. And he was sentenced earlier this year, actually, in 2022. This just the sentencing just happened to 27 years in prison. Followed by a lifetime supervised release, which really I don't. This kind of bothers me. I just don't. I feel like, you know, once you make the choice to go down the road to, even though he didn't specifically do it himself, he orchestrated it to take another person's life. I feel like you, especially in the, when it has to do with children, I would never want to see that person in society, you know, mainstream society again. That's me. That's, per, that's me, my personal opinion. But I feel like you just forfeit the right to be walk among us at that point
1: right like yeah i'm a big believer in like people changing but it's like he's always going to have that inkling in him that's going to want to do that so it's like should we risk this guy you know going back out to society hoping that he learned his lesson he changed and he helps the world to become a better place or are we just leaving him or are we just letting him go and then take a time bomb until he plans this next thing or does this this, another heinous act similar to what he did see that's it's like a crazy dilemma so it's like do you have this guy in life forever? Do you guys have him? Do you get, does this, should this guy go in prison forever and never see the light of day? And basically, this guy is what he is. No remorse. He did what he did, and this is what his punishment is. Or is it like okay? He spent this thirty years in jail. Hopefully, he has he learned his lesson. And it's like like like. What do we go with that? Do we give this guy a second chance after thirty years, or do we just say, hey, no, no second chances. You're done for life. I don't
2: think he should be part of society uh, but I do believe in change in the future maybe he's going to be 60 years old and after 29 years something flipped and being in a prison cell I'm not sure that's you know that's for God to judge but uh, but this man should have a decent lifetime especially when he not only did this once the female that was sending him the videos understood him too and psychologically he wanted a specific video that's already so wrong and he was willing to pay over four thousand dollars for this so clearly this man wasn't sane in anything he was doing so why should he be a part of society maybe we can in the future create something or i'm almost thinking like an outcast society where there's people that have done horrific crime where they're in a i don't know some kind of a territorial land out there human zoo sure let's say that where they could
0: like australia used to be (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
2: (laughs) where they they could interact with each other but they just don't have the privilege to interact with anybody else because of the crimes they already committed there should be something that says hey that's it you know and that's a perfect example look what's happening in the whole russia case with that basketball player is serving nine years in prison for having a THC cartridge. Here in America, that wouldn't be a bad offense, but over there she's getting nine years. And it's just a different society and they're getting punished differently. So
1: So I have one one giant issue with that is we have all these people protesting, saying to get her out of jail because she's in Russia. But look how many people are still in jail in the United States for the same offense that they were in jail for years ago. So we have this giant, you know, protest, hey, get her out of jail, get her out of Russia. America's gotta step in, but it's like Like hey, like what about people in jail that have literally committed the same crime ten years ago, fifteen years ago, five years ago, and they're sitting in jail? Why don't we advocating for for those people? If you're gonna why just because she's a superstar, because she plays basketball? Why does it matter if she plays basketball? Who cares? She's a basketball player. She's not somebody that's like in charge of an orphanage somewhere. She just plays basketball. That's what she's we she gets she's a wealthy individual that just gets paid for playing basketball. We have people in jail that have, you know, been working in healthcare, that have been working like important jobs, trying to improve society. Got caught up with some weed, and you know, they got put in jail. We have kids that, that got caught with weed when they're in minors, and now they can't get a job because of that minor offense. And then we have this giant protest for setting this person free. First of all, if she's that dumb to bring an illegal substance to a country like like Russia, like okay, that just tells you how smart she is. Like, men and I are going to Thailand. Are we going to bring drugs with? No. Even if, just because drugs are might be legal here, doesn't mean we're going to bring them somewhere else because, God forbid, I go to jail in a different country. I'm screwed, right? Did that not cross her mind? Like, she's not, I don't want to be a dick, but she's not that intelligent of an individual. What, just because she's a basketball player and she's famous in the United States means people are going to to treat her put on a pedestal in, in Russia where people are trying to survive for food. There's a damn war going on. You think they care about you bring a, a vape pen where are gonna let which let you slide here? Like no. Are you kidding me? Like come on, the like, common, common sense. Like she should stay there for a little bit just to learn her lesson. Like it's just
0: you <laughs> know what I'm saying? It. Yeah.
1: Peter's wrath there. Peter got like,
0: on it. Yeah. That's, like that's like me having a
1: that's like me having a pistachio allergy and you bring in a pistachio cake to my birthday, dude. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm going be a little upset. Like I'm allergic to pistachios and you brought a pistachio cake. Like come on, I can't even enjoy it, bro.
0: I mean, I totally agree with you, Peter, about the amount of people who are in prison for a long time because of the three-strike rule. I mean, you know, because of the three-strike rule, there are people serving 20 years in prison because of marijuana that is now legal to have in the state of California. It's just, it makes no sense. And there are no, there's no outrage that I know of. Maybe some, I mean, clearly there's, Peter has outreach, but, and I do, but
2: there's not. Passionate person. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: but and I love it. But there's not what he's saying is that where are the people for all of where are the people outraged for all these people who are in prison? And it's because they're not a popular, you know, famous basketball player. You know, they are some these unfortunate people that were in this circumstance. And it's, it makes no sense whatsoever.
1: None. And the crazy thing is it, it'll save us money. Like getting the place, the girl out of jail in Russia, it's going to cost us money because the government's got to have to figure out a way, which means they're going to get some people in place, which means we're going to need to pay for that as people versus saving money by releasing, you know, these people that have been hit with these minor crimes. Like the risk reward benefit is a lot more reward releasing people in jail and saving our on our taxes versus trying to get one person out of jail. I mean, we should try to get her out. Like, yeah, whatever we should. She's probably a good person, but, you know, priorities. Yeah.
0: And there are other there's another man over there as well. And he's not even in, he's not included. He is also serving time in prison. He's not included in this swap that they're wanting to do. And his family is like, wait, what is this all about? He's serving time in prison for the same thing. Right. And our government is not trying to get him back with the swap that they're trying to do. Yeah. Some of our lives are just worth more than others to our government, apparently. Yeah.
1: Why is this one person? And it's not like she's like a diplomat or something, or like a refugee of some sort. She did it. She knew what she was doing. And it's like, if I'm in charge of this negotiation and I'm trying to figure out who I want to give of Russian intelligence for somebody that's a basketball player, I probably wouldn't do it. Not to be a rude or anything, but like, if Russia wants somebody that's like a diplomat or somebody else's value, spine. yeah, that does more than play basketball. Like, if it's a, if it's a, like, we'll give you a, a sports player if you give us a sports player back. That's how it should be. You gotta have this, so have like similar value. You know, because if it's like Russian intelligence, we got to give someone like a prisoner of war or something that has been helping us, like, I wouldn't make that deal. Sorry for.
0: I mean, she's definitely time. being used as a pawn. There's no doubt about that. I mean, to give her nine years. Yeah, in nine prison.
1: years not that bad. I mean, it's <laughs> pretty bad, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> Never mind. I wouldn't want to go to jail for nine years oh, I, in Poland. especially
0: in a uh, Russian prison. Ru- yeah. Russian prisons are a lot different the than the American gulag. prisons.
1: Yeah. Not good. The Gulag. Have her making basketballs or something in prison. Right. Maybe she could help so, out the national basketball team in Russia. Maybe that's, that should be her punishment instead. Maybe they'll get a chance against the United States if she teaches basketball <laughs> over there.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I think I feel like this probably happens more than we realize where people, Americans, go into other countries and then get caught doing something that they maybe didn't realize was illegal or maybe they knew it was but they didn't understand it in another country. It's a, you're not going to get just a slap on the wrist like you would in the United States. I, that probably happens a lot more than we realize.
2: I just thought about the story. I forgot what the documentary's called, but it was a journalist that was in Saudi Arabia, and he was talking bad about one of the princes, the princes. So he ran away to I think America for quite some time, and th- they kept having Twitter bots attacking his basically his life because of what he was doing and talking bad about the prince. Then somehow he ended up in a US embassy in Turkey where the prince was there too. And in the US embassy they killed him, they cut up his body, and I don't know what else happened. So we know who did it, the prince, but because he's a prince and he has a lot of money, he has a lot of connections to United States, we can't slap him on the wrist or anything. So it's just insane.
1: He got what is that called uh, We mentioned swapped or what was that word again? Squat swatted. you got swatted. Oh. Yeah. Kind of like a swatted. Because what happened was somebody told him that he had to fly to the embassy to fill out some paperwork for his citizenship in Saudi Arabia. And that it wasn't true. It wasn't so true. This yeah, was it wasn't true. or yeah, or Turkey. I mean, I'm sorry. Not again, the other princess. So they like mad at tricked or him or
0: into coming there, and then they yeah. ambushed him.
1: Yeah, they tricked oh him, and gosh. some and then somebody exposed that he was there. He got swatted and. Yeah, and you got to literally cop into his p- in pieces. So with the whole Julian Assange stuff, with the w- whole Wikipedia, that w- that was part of why Julian Assange is also you know being uh, being a, like negatively uh, pursued because of he also was part of releasing this information as well, along with a- other another set of paperwork and stuff. But yeah, it's crazy. Not to jump down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's kind of, we kind of went all over the place with this, yeah, didn't
1: we? Yeah, really. You got Tina tangents. You got a couple of nurses tangents.
0: I know I gotta, I have to jump on these tangents, you know, from time to time, just because it does get a little dark with some of the subject matter. I don't know about you, but I have to have coffee every morning before I go to work. And lately I found myself needing more and more coffee just to get that awake and alert feeling. Well, I got this email from a company called Magic Mind, and they sent me this little elixir that I drink every morning in addition to my coffee, because I ain't giving that up. And it has this ingredient in it called L-theanine that helps the caffeine in my coffee to last longer and to be more effective for me. So I kind of look at it as the opposite of taking melatonin on the nights before I have to work that sort of helps shut my mind down. So this has ingredients to help wake my mind up and just help me you know, be able to focus more and be more alert at work. So of of course, this is in no way giving any medical advice or guaranteeing that it's going to work for you in the same way it works for me. But I, I mean, I found it to be beneficial and hey, you might too. Just go to www.magicmind.co forward slash nurse and enter the promo code nurse20. That's www.magicmind.co forward slash nurse and then use the promo
3: code nurse20. And of course, we'll put that link on our website. If you want to, you can go to goodnursebadnurse.com an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there, And use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order.
0: But I guess we can jump into this good nurse story that we were going to talk about. I, I was fascinated by this. Apparently, the New York Academy of Medicine, the new leader, I guess, of the New York Academy of Medicine is a nurse which I was so kind of amazed by because her name is Ann Kurth. And apparently on July 6th, this just happened, July 6th, the Board of Trustees of the New York Academy of Medicine announced that the dean of the Yale School of Nursing, epidemiologist Ann Kurth, and she's got lots of alphabet soup after her name, PhD, MPH, MSN, CNM, FAAN, FACNM, will become the first nurse to preside over the academy on January 1st, 2023, the New York Academy of Medicine is celebrating its 175th anniversary this year and views her appointment as another significant milestone in their history as she becomes the first non-physician and the first nurse selected to lead the organization. Dr. Kurth is a leader in higher education and health who shares their commitment to advancing health equity. She joins the New York Academy of Medicine from Yale University, where she's currently the dean, and Linda Koch, Lorimer professor at Yale School of Nursing and professor. So, I mean, she's obviously a highly accomplished woman. I'm a nurse. I'm amazed by her. And I'm a little bit, so, and I'm happy that this happened. I don't want this to sound like I'm not, but I'm a little bit shocked because this, you know, that medicine, the world of medicine and the world of nursing don't usually kind of like oil and water sometimes if you think about it. We step I mean it does overlap obviously, but with, we step on each other's toes a lot. You know, when we're trying to work along our medical colleagues. Nurses, you know, we have our own profession. We we nurses, I guess, govern ourselves. We don't have physicians or medical providers, you know, governing us. And that's deliberate because we're we want to be our own profession. We don't want physicians telling us how to be nurses and so yeah, you would think you wouldn't want nurses telling physicians you know so anyway that's why it kind of surprised me i love the recognition though. i love the respect that they are giving to the nursing profession by giving her this position
1: yeah so yeah i'm glad you brought that point up because that because i thought it was an amazing idea but not you brought up the whole like how does it feel about a nurse leading you could say doctors but what does like her job role actually entail? Because she's not diagnosing people for sure. It's not. A, it's not a place where she's gonna be doing diagnosis. Because sometimes. What I noticed with doctors is that they get so caught up in doing the same thing over and over and over again, their protocols, their diagnoses, where they miss things. And that's kind of cool where the nurses usually comes in and say, hey, yeah, I know we're doing this, but the patient's also experiencing this. So it's almost like nurses have a different viewpoint on a situation going that's going on, that the doctors have, might have been so ingrained in doing the same thing over and over again where they're missing the picture because they've been doing the same thing over and over again. So I think maybe a nurse stepping in, might might shed light just like nurses catch a lot of mistakes that doctors make or catch a lot of things that doctors don't see and we bring that that to like the patient advocacy side that hey yeah I know this is going on but this could also be going on because I also see this with the patient compared to what the doctor would see as in just like the streamline thing that they've always been doing this might offer a, a new vision on this I feel like this is almost like she's what Obama was for the black people so far for us. I so I feel like as a nurse, you know how like Obama became president and the black community was, you know, very happy to finally got somebody in charge. She's like she's like that for nurses. Let's bring her in. Let's see what she could do. Let's see what a nursing perspective could do. Maybe she could solve some of the bigger underlying issues that's going on with society because if we just keep bringing in doctors the whole time, surgeons or whatever cardiologists that keep doing the same process over and over again. But then what's really changing if these physicians always have the same ideas? So maybe this might be a very, very good pivot point for healthcare in, in general. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. We're creating diversity there. And just because
2: doctors have a title doesn't mean that they're competent in the position that they're in. Just like you mentioned, nurses troubleshoot things all the time or let the doctor know hey, this is what's really going on with the patient. I understand you want to do fluids. Maybe we need albumin to check the protein. So we are almost a a doctor in a sense, but we're not where we're troubleshooting, looking at the body and seeing what we can fix. So in this case, she's one of the first ones that's leading an organization. Let's push more for that. I I think we're more than just nurses. and We could definitely do that. What if we finally get somebody that's on a hospital board that's a nurse versus a doctor that has to be there or the CEO. What if we have a board of trustees that are nurses in the hospital that could actually create better change than any of these doctors because they don't see the front lines like we do. They don't see the day to day, hour by hour of the way we're struggling. And I think that's what would really change healthcare when we have more of these nurses coming together, speaking about the real problems that are happening. For example, I floated to two two different hospitals and asked educators, What does your hospital need? What are you guys working on? Everything is always about the numbers and how we can drive down costs that could benefit the hospital organization. It's never about cultivating healthy workplace environment where we could decrease the stress on a nurse that could maybe increase better patient satisfaction scores. That's always looked upon because they never see what's happening in the day-to-day of a nurse. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just because someone's a good doctor doesn't mean they're gonna be good at running a business or good at running this whole medical system. They might just be good at their trade. Is what it is. Just like sometimes you have a person that's really good at sales, but might not be a good leader in the business. You might need to bring somebody else. Just because he's worked in sales and worked around a business their whole life doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be good at running one or creating one or starting one up. So hopefully, yeah, see what happens. Hopefully they hopefully this is not just like a social reward thing. Like sometimes you know how society puts somebody out there because People want somebody that says, like, for example, the whole global warming thing, like who that one young girl, that's the head of the global, like taking care of the world agenda, like she's what, like 15 years old. Like, I feel like that was just pushed just to get a nice picture going. I hope this is not what's going to happen with this because... Sometimes I feel like people get put into power and leadership roles just because of societal pressures, you could say, because society wants somebody to be the, be this way. And that's what people want, but it might not necessarily be the the best person. So hopefully she, I don't want to say doesn't let us down, but hopefully she actually has some progressive change that she's willing to push and actually make things better instead of just being somebody there just for show because she has a good title and because she's accepted by a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely could see that. I hope that because I could see a problem putting a nurse in that position where the physicians under her would not necessarily respect her and there could be problems there, you know, and I don't really know, I don't understand her role and how much um, influence she has or how much power she has or what, you know, in that medical association. But I do think that the world of nursing and the world of medicine should overlap a lot more than it does. And we should try to get along with each other and work together and work alongside each other as colleagues. We all have the same goal. We have different roles, but we all have the same goal. And I think that instead of working against each other, which sometimes happens, pride gets in the way, egos get in the way sometimes. And I could see this causing a problem. I mean, think about if, for example, the Tennessee Nurse Association tried to put a physician as the new head of the Tennessee Nurse Association, I mean, people would freak out. They would never (laughs) accept this because nurses have fought for the respect of being considered a profession. And, you know, we do our research and discover evidence-based practice, you know, make changes to our profession based on research and We govern ourselves, so then if you have a physician coming along, it would be a problem. So it's interesting to me. I don't know, I don't know what the answer is because I know if the shoe were on the other foot, we would all be having a fit.
2: (laughs) You bring up a very good point, Tina, because just like we need to overlap that, same thing with doctors where look at our healthcare, we talk about holistic care all the time, but if you look at all these consultations that are happening on our patients, it's very fragmented care. You have fragmented disease processes, just cardiovascular, just endocrine looking at diabetes, just nephrology, looking at kidneys. And a lot of these doctors are always never usually talking to themselves to guide the holistic care of the patient. It's always about this is what the heart needs. This is what the kidney needs. And it's never an overlap for the better, for the good of the patient. It's always just fragmented care and disease processes.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I love that. I love that you brought that up because I think most people would think, "Oh, I want a cardiologist taking care of my heart because they know everything about the heart." So it sounds like that's the best way to do medicine. Like, have specialists studying just the cardiovascular system that understands that specifically, and just the renal system and understands that specifically, and just you know the GI system. And so you have these specialists that are specialists in those areas, but they don't get out of their specialty very often. And so what do they do? They're in hospital working at the bedside and they try to make a change and there's a conflict with another specialty. Do they go to each other and talk it out and have respect for one another and say, Hey, you know, I understand the renal system, but I don't necessarily understand the cardiovascular system as well. So let's work together and you educate me on your system and I'll educate you on my system And we'll come, we'll meet in the middle somewhere where, you know, we find the lesser of the two evils of whatever we're trying to figure out, you know, because we know this, you try to fix one thing and you mess something else up. That's what we do all the time, taking care of people. But that doesn't happen because of egos. They, what do they do? They don't even go to each other. Nine times out of 10, they go through the nurse. They call the nurse, okay? Let cardiology know, blah, blah, blah. And then cardiologists know, you let that nephrologist know that da, 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 you know, and you're just in the middle. Like, can you guys talk to each other, maybe?
2: Yes. We're being like the directors of the patient in a sense. So we have a higher title than the doctor because we're overseeing the care and then trying to figure out who should be talking to who to not have fragmented care. Another cool example of that is Peter and I did a podcast episode about the mouth and all that. So the mouth is looked at as a separate organ, but what if dentistry and doctors start working together and overlap in that case where, Hey, if the dentist see there's gingivitis, there's gum recession, there's things happening in the mouth. That is linked to cardiovascular disease and risk. What if there's a consultation that the doc, the dentist could provide that, Hey, we should check, look more into things that are happening because of what I see in the mouth. But that's again, fragmented and dentistry is a completely different thing. And there is no connection there.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Because when I used to do the cardiac unit back in, in Illinois, when somebody got worked up for an LVAT or a heart transplant. They had to get certain teeth pulled. They had to see a dentist would literally come and either pull teeth or treat whatever oral issues they had. Otherwise, they wouldn't get an LVAT and they wouldn't get a, get a heart transplant. So it's crazy. And that's like the, that's crazy because that's like never mentioned. Dentistry and, and, and medicine, it's like two different things. It's like medicine is just this, and dentistry is not medicine, something else. And it's crazy how aligned they are. But what do we know? We're just nurses. Yeah. Well, that's I why know. we got a nurse leader now. Maybe <laughs> not that we had this there's nurse elected at, in, as a leader of the medical profession now or with the total talent that she has, maybe that's what they needed. You know, maybe there was uh, just a miscommunication. And like, like you guys said that a lot of times nurses bridge these different specialties together so they could communicate. Maybe we needed a nurse there to bridge all the conflict that was going on and shit wasn't being handled. Maybe now we needed this nurse to step up and to be elected because now maybe she's gonna be able to figure out a way on how to res- how to fix this conflict. It might be a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, I mean maybe we do need more overlapping even in the our nursing governance. You know, we don't need to be you know so closed off and unwilling. You know, to have physicians helping govern. You know, uh, because we're all like I said, we all have the same goal. We don't have the same role, but we have the same goal. So we should be working together better and respecting each other more. And I think nurses have to fight a lot harder for that respect. I know in the state of Tennessee, nurses are making somewhere, I think the average is somewhere around $30 an hour, but really a lot of nurses, bedside nurses are making like $25, $26 an hour. Yeah. New grads are making like $20, $21 an hour. So, you know, it starts there, but the disrespect. And then that, then you think about nurse assistants, they make maybe 10 maybe $12 an hour. I mean, really unlivable wages, <laughs> just amounts of money that you can't possibly, if you have a family you know, you can't provide. So the disrespect is just, it knows no bounds.
2: I like how you mentioned respect because it's almost like nurses and the higher ups management. We're almost like in this toxic relationship where, you know, as an individual, if somebody didn't respect you, your work, what you do, your goals, you wouldn't tolerate that person. But we know for a fact that management, anybody that's working in management above the hospitals, they're not respecting nurses. They're not valuing the hard work we're putting behind how we take care of patients, how we put ourselves second. Usually we don't come first. It's always the patients. We're holding in our P, whatever it is that we're doing. And we don't have respect from our own higher ups that are technically our leaders that are setting examples for us. So how can we fix this relationship? Where for one, we're not even being respected. So the change starts from the nurse because we're already in a bad relationship, and the hospitals clearly don't care about this relationship because they keep they keep on doing what they're doing. The petitions that we saw signed, they're just looking out the other way. So in this relationship, we need to do something about it.
1: I'm glad you brought up like the salaries and how much nurses are making because that was my. It's always like a dilemma: is how much money is enough? as like a starting wage for a nurse. And like, how do you gauge that? Do you gauge it by workload? Do you gauge that, like, what? and how do you come up with that? A lot of factors, right? Right now, I feel like it's more of like, the longer you're in school, the more money you make, it seems like, especially in healthcare. You're a CNA, you know, it's like a course that you take over the summer, you make X amount of money. Then you got like respiratory therapists, they take X amount of school, Now they as a the nurse, they get paid a little bit less. And then you got the associate's degree nurse, then you got the BSN, which then, then you get paid more. So it's like, if we're just, basing the amount of money you make just off how much you go to school that's not really fair that's kind of where i feel like it, it is now it should be kind of you should have more data points being looked at especially if there's like a shortage because it's not fair because a lot of the stuff that we would deal with as nursing as nurses we learn beyond nursing school Nursing school gives us the fundamentals it's almost like you're starting salary as a nurse or you're starting hourly rate as a nurse it's your knowledge you're getting paid for in nursing school it's basically like it's fair it's fair to say it's Whatever you get paid as your baseline rate is the knowledge you use in nursing school. But what about all the knowledge that I'm learning on the job that I have to use moving forward and all the stuff I still have to learn? That's not being accounted for. Even if you go into specialties, you don't get paid more just because you're an ICU nurse. You don't get paid more because you're an oncology nurse. You don't get, you don't get paid more, you get paid the, the same. But as physician, I get paid more to be renal, to be nephrology, to be cardiology. You, you get paid more to, learn, to, learn, to know more about the specialty. In nursing, that's not how it is. And it sucks to say, but then it's like, you come to the dilemma is like, should med surge get paid more than or less than ICU? Where you now divide that? Which you is going to get paid more? Is the oncologist going to get paid more than ICU nurse because she has to know about chemo drugs and about certain medications, has to know more about labs? Like, how do you figure out how much you, to pay these, these people for the work they're putting in? It's always a big dilemma, but I feel like for sure people aren't getting paid the amount you're getting paid is definitely not in the same rate as you could say the economy is going to. Prices are going up, cost of living is going up, but yeah, you see our salaries and hourly wages not going up. Luckily, I'm a travel nurse, and the fact that you brought up that some nurses make $20 an hour, $25 an hour, $30 an hour, like that just seems so far from the truth for me almost, because I've been making so much more. And I know that is the truth that they are making, I just haven't thought about it since like the last three years, because the last three years, man, I've been travel nursing, so we've been getting paid well over $70, $80 an hour, easy, $100, depending on how the contract is. And for me to fathom that some nurses are starting off with $20, $25, $30 an hour, it's, it's mind-blowing. Like, how is that even possible? Because I know as a new grad, I started in the same boat, 28s, 29s, 30s, but then I, that, that's so far away from me. And so far from what I'm making right now, that's like, crazy. It's just like, how was I able to start at that wage? And I, can't, I cannot imagine myself making that much money an hour right now because it will be impossible for me, me to live my lifestyle. And people are at right now. It's crazy to think about.
0: Yeah, they are. And it's not necessarily I know it's expensive to live in California, but it's not cheap to live in this area where we live. And so it's the you know, the economy just continues to get worse and the rate of pay is not going up exponentially. So I I don't know what the answer is, but I know that for me, right now, it is a scary thought to be a patient in a hospital if I were to have to be in a hospital or a family member, because I know it isn't safe right now in hospitals anywhere in the United States. It's just not. There's there are, Something has to give, because there are not enough people willing to work in the hospitals at the bedside caring for patients. And I'm not just talking about nurses. I am talking about CNAs. I'm talking because look, I mean, they will pile everything on top of nurses. They will literally pile everything on top of nurses and go, "Oh, sorry, we don't have enough CNAs, so you'll have to do all of this and this too. You know, draw your own labs because we don't have enough phlebotomists." And hey, can you answer the phone too? Because we don't have anybody to sit at the desk today. And they—that's what they will do if you just only fight for nurses and their pay. They. just take away from the other job so you have to fight for the whole system you know the system needs to be elevated there needs to be we've got to stop the hospitals from this mentality of you know running everything lean and you know having you know minimal staff that's the idea that's the way these hospitals are run it's like you don't want to have too many nurses you don't want to have anyone sitting at the nurse's station you don't want to have anyone you know, with nothing to do but because, you know, that's, you're spending money for those people to be there in case something happens. If you get a patient coming from the emergency room, you need a nurse to take care of that person. If, you know, having an abundance of staff is just, it costs so much money and that eats into our bonuses. So we, you know, I can't make my $10 million a year if I'm having to pay for staff to sit around at the nurses' station and just be available in case something happens. Well, guess what? The something, it J- tends to happen. It always happens. So people are always running around, scrambling around, not safely caring for their patients. But you go right ahead and pad your wallet with your $10 million yearly salary, Mr. CEO.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, so we, man, I have been nurses for, what, like six years now or something like that. There's never been a time in my life where I saw a nurse not having to do anything on shift. There's never a time where we were, okay, well, we have one nurse that we don't have anything to give her to do. I have never experienced that in my life. Like, when has that ever been a thing? And if that has been a thing, well, guess what? We send nurses home if there's less patients. And what ends up happening— Because heaven forbid. Yeah. And what happened—I've had this happen a few times when I was a charge nurse back in Chicago. And I had to send a nurse home because the acuity wasn't there. So I had to send her home because of numbers. And I sent her home at 11 p.m. because that's, like, the cutoff. And guess what? She got busy at three in the morning. We would have loved to have her for those extra four hours. She could have, I could have been having her do like, you could say like more of like a CNA role or maybe just doing more of the turns, just being a resource instead of me having to send her home because I couldn't give her patience because at three o'clock in the morning, I can't call her back in because I told her that she has to go home because the QD numbers aren't adding up. And then I'm, praying that we don't get another patient or whatever just satisfy these numbers, these grids I had to do. And that was so frustrating for me, having to send home a, a nurse, she would be here for the first four hours, and then I had to send her home because there's nobody that could give her. And a patient came in at 2 o'clock, another patient that came in at 3 o'clock, and now I'm charged with, with two patients. Because I had to send this, this nurse home at 11, because at that minute, because by 11 o'clock, the first four hours, I couldn't give her patients. But she wasn't sitting there, for, for she wasn't sitting in the manager's office for, eating candy, she was helping other nurses but I couldn't justify on paper for having her there because there wasn't a patient load, which is mind blowing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Even though there's plenty of work for them to do, even if they don't have direct patients, there's still plenty of work to do. Like like, like, at
1: least have her stocked at the blanket warmer because sometimes that that was empty, you know, it sounds like some dark uh, psychology here
2: because you have hospitals. that got these pretty websites talking about, you know, God and, Patients first, commitment, connection, health, all this beautiful stuff, and we care about patients. Patients come first, as they should, but in reality, on the dark side here, we got freaking grids. You got to go home. We're losing money here, and it's just this dark thing where our management has never really been looking at the patient care. It's always just about the numbers game, and it's always been a business, so why? Have a front on the website with this beautiful mission and vision and all these values that you guys carry over, where these values aren't even trickled down to the nursing staff. So we could show those values to our patients.
0: It's supposed to be a facade. You know, we are supposed to put on a good face. You know, not supposed to say we're understaffed. You're only, you you're supposed to. If you can't get into their room right away and you go in and they're upset, you're not supposed to say, "Oh, I'm so sorry, we're short staffed. I have an extra patient that I'm supposed to have." No, no, no. You're not supposed to say that you know, put on the fake face and smile and just say, oh, I'm so sorry, you're upset. I'm sorry I wasn't able to get in here. What can I'm here now? How can I help you? That's literally what we're told to say to people (laughs) instead of the truth.
1: Yeah, it's crazy because it's it's like you're taking an objective approach and an objective way to evaluate things in a subjective matter. Like, for example, take art, for example, when you buy a painting, you pay for it because you like it, you like what it stands for, you like the subjectiveness of it. You don't say, hey, this painting is worth $100,000 because this artist used $100,000 worth of paint, right? That'd be an objective stance. If you look at art that way, where, you're, where that art is valued at how much paint you use and the cost of the canvas, then you know, that would not work. That's how nursing is. Nursing is, is subjective, right? It's a subjective approach. You're dealing with a human being. You're not dealing with a robot where it's just ones and zeros, it's not like that. It's a subjective thing. The amount of work you put into a, to a patient isn't a bundle. It's not a step bundle. Every patient is different, even though they might be coming in for heart failure, this heart failure patient has different needs. They don't just have heart failure needs, they have other needs. So it's like we're trying to fit nursing into this one objective way to do things, but it's not. And that's kind of like a valuing art. Nursing is almost an art form. You don't, you shouldn't be paid on the hours you, you put in. For example, you should be paid more and viewed more on the, like the workload you could say, like the whole thing, because then you're just basing art off what it costs to paint that damn picture. And that's kind of what they're doing with nursing. They're trying to fit it like that, but it's not how it works.
0: Well, I love the conversation that we ended up having. This is always interesting. We I feel like the, this is the kind of stuff that we always talk about when We whenever we get together. And we definitely agree on most of this stuff. And I don't know what the answer is other than just to keep talking about it and keep bringing awareness and try to get that information into the right ears of people who are making these decisions. I don't know. I don't know what else to do because I know that more and more people are leaving the bedside. And that's a sad thing to me. I love nursing. I think it's sad, you know, a sad day when you have people who love nursing that are just going, you know what, even I can't do this anymore and walking away because, you know, we all potentially could be patients in hospitals.
1: Yeah, definitely. Nursing is amazing. I've learned so much from my nursing career about not just healthcare, but about life. We hear some crazy stories. It's, it really paints a beautiful beautiful perspective on what life actually is. And I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, I would change the pay.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Remind everybody where they can find you.
2: So you could go on com or any social channel at cupofnurses and you'll find us there and come check out the podcast
0: awesome. And you guys know you can find us at goodnursebadnurse.com and you can go to nursecreatorcon.com if you are interested in coming to the Creator Con event in September, on September 24th in Austin, Texas. It's going to be an amazing event where creators from all over the country are coming together and we're going to be sharing their knowledge. Jessica Seitz is going to be sharing her knowledge of how she makes an unreal amount of money. Doing Facebook, you guys wouldn't even believe the numbers she talks about. It's insane. And Mike with Simple Nursing is going to be talking about how he has turned his business into this multi-million dollar business, unbelievable, educating nursing students. And we have an aesthetic nurse, Dr. Jones, going to be talking about aesthetic nursing. LegalNurse.com, they're sponsoring our event, and they are sending Robert Miller, one of their top legal nurse consultants there to talk about that fascinating specialty. We also want to thank Echo Devices for sponsoring the event and CBD Stat for also helping us um, in sponsoring the event and hope to see you there. Go to nursecreatorcon.com to get your tickets today while the early bird prices are still in effect. Also, if you can't attend in person, we do have a virtual option as well. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or bad boy, be a good nurse.